Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see everybody here. We especially want to uh, welcome those of you who are visiting with us. We have some who are here for the first time. We have others who have been here before. We have some who are uh, back that we've not seen in a while. We're just uh, very thankful that we can all be here together to offer up our uh, worship today. And it is our fervent hope and prayer that the worship will be a blessing uh, to all. We've been talking about the cross, and we continue that today, especially thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, and Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. You've heard both those read. I, I hope that you'll have your uh, Bible open to those two places as we are thinking about these two texts together. I, I, I think most of you realize that scripture readings here at Glen Allen are never filler. Uh, they always have a purpose. They always have a function and uh, we honor God by hearing his word read aloud together, and we honor God when we listen to that word and when we uh, pay attention to that word and we are taught and shaped by that word. And we hope that that's what happens uh, here this morning. We had stopped by the woman's room in a small nursing home in a remote village in western Ukraine just to pay a brief visit bring her a small gift of food and some other small items that we were hoping would be a, a blessing to her and would brighten her day. And as soon as we walked into the room, she began to weep uncontrollably. And we didn't know what was wrong. But she began to tell us through an interpreter her story. And she had seven children and that none of those seven children would have anything to do with her. Not one of the seven would take care of her, and that's why she was in this home, and not one of the seven would even come to visit her. I don't know her story. I don't know if her children were just all that indifferent and negligent. I don't know if she had in some way driven them away. I don't know, but I know that the sadness that she exuded so filled that room that it was just hard to stay in there. And you found yourself wanting to get out and just get away. Because the sense of her estrangement was so powerful and the pain was so great that it was hard to take. It was hard to witness, even in someone that we didn't really know. There are not many of us who could not tell a story of our own about some strained or broken relationship. There's not many of us who could not tell a story about abandonment by a parent or betrayal by a spouse or about a friendship that suddenly disintegrated and we didn't even know why. Something that maybe we don't speak about to anybody or at least at most of the very few. Alienation and hostility are commonplace in all aspects of human life. Just think about how much of what we hear and what we witness in the world today has to do with alienation and hostility. Nation against nation, religion against religion, race against race, rich against poor, men against women, Republicans against Democrats, management against labor, young against old, husbands against wives, parents against children, and the list just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? 
It's practically endless. But there is one alienation that we all have or have had and that a lot of people don't realize they have and they don't recognize that a lot of the pain and the struggles and the disappointment in their lives are the result of that alienation. They don't know where the pain is coming from. And where it's coming from is from their estrangement from God. The one who made us and the one who loves us and the one who desires a relationship with us. But we walk away. And that tells us the source, the cause of our alienation. It's our sin. Isaiah couldn't have been more explicit in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, when he said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot say. The people of Israel were asking, Why isn't God helping us? Why isn't God reaching out when our enemies are pressing in about us? Why isn't he doing something about this? And Isaiah said, It's not that his hand is too short that he can't reach you. It's not that his ear is dull that he cannot hear. He says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He has chosen not to hear because we have chosen to walk away. Israel had chosen to turn away from their covenant. We individually turn away from God through our sins. And so we find ourselves alienated. But the scripture tells us the good news that the situation isn't hopeless. That's why I think the parable of the prodigal son is one of our favorite of all of Jesus' parables. Because it's about reconciliation. And we love reconciliation stories, don't we? It is an, it's an illustration, it's a demonstration of what happens to us on the personal level, what happened, had happened to Israel on the national level, that a son had gone away. He had just said, I don't want to be here anymore. And he went as far away as he could get from his father, took his uh, father's wealth with him, and squandered it. But finally came to himself and said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me as one of your hired servants just so I won't starve to death. Just so I'll be able to get along, just like a hired servant. And so he goes back and he finds the father waiting and welcoming him with open arms. And he doesn't want to hear the speech he doesn't want to hear the story. He just wants to welcome the son back. But then there is that elder brother who's been there all along, and he doesn't want to welcome him back. Oh, here comes little brother. He's gone out wasted everything. I've been here working, slaving, doing all this hard work. And now that he's come back, they throw a party for him. Never did that for me. And so there's just alienation all around, isn't there? You know who the chief figure is in that story? It's not the prodigal son. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. We ought to call it the parable of the waiting father. Because the chief figure in that story, the one who makes it all happen, is the father who loves and watches and waits and is willing to receive back. Had he not been there willing to do that, it wouldn't have mattered what the son did. 
It wouldn't have made any difference if he had ended up in the pig pen and said, I'll go back to my father, if he hadn't had a father to go back to. And we wouldn't care much about that story if he had come to his father and his father had said, I knew you'd come back, you sorry rascal. You're right. You're not worthy to be called my son. Go find you a place out in the barn. But instead he put a robe on him, shoes on his feet, and a ring on his finger. And he said, this, my son was dead, but he's alive. That, folks, is reconciliation. Reconciliation, making peace, becomes one of Paul's favorite ways of explaining the meaning of the cross and what was accomplished there. Paul, by the way, is the only, only New Testament writer who uses that language. He's the only one who describes our being brought back into fellowship with God in terms of reconciliation. But it is a powerful reminder of what the cross is all about. Paul even characterizes his preaching as the ministry of reconciliation. He says God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, and he calls the gospel the message of reconciliation. That's what it's all about. It's all about reconciling us to God. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. And this is where you need to be looking at the text. It's obvious that reconciliation is the dominant thought of this text because Paul uses the words reconcile and reconciliation five times in six verses. Let's hear it again just to be sure that we have it clearly in our minds. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God was doing through Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God because for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Five times in six verses, Paul uses the terminology of reconciliation. Why? I want you to notice that the Bible always says that we are reconciled to God. It never says God is reconciled to us. Why? Because we are the ones who walk away. We are the ones who create the rift. We are the ones who break the relationship by our sins. God has not done it. I saw a sign once, and it said, Does God feel far away? Who do you think moved? It isn't God who moves away from us. It's we who move away from God. And so the Bible always talks in terms of our being reconciled to God. We are reconciled to him, not him to us. And reconciliation, make no mistake, is not some kind of compromise. It is not us meeting God halfway or God meeting us halfway. We ruptured the relationship, but God has come all the way in the cross of Jesus and provided the way for that rift to be healed. And notice that Paul says in verse 18, all this is from God. 
All this is from God. This is not anything that we initiated, but God is reaching out to us through his grace. As Paul describes it in Romans 5, verses 6 to 11, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul says, through him we have now received our reconciliation. He uses that language again in Romans 5. And then in verse 19 of Second uh, Corinthians 5, Paul says, because of Christ, God does not count our trespasses against us. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. Now, understand this, that reconciliation is not about God ignoring reality. It is not about God ignoring our sins. It's not about him overlooking our sinfulness. It is about God in the cross of Jesus dealing with our sinfulness. It is about God in the person of Jesus punishing our sinfulness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Something we could never have done so Jesus did it for us bore the penalty of our sin in the cross. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean God made him a sinner. It means he put our sins on him. And he bore the penalty for us. Linda and I made a trip one time to do a wedding in Nebraska when we lived in Texas. We spent a night in Canyon City, Colorado. And I don't know if you've ever been to Canyon City, Colorado, but it's well named. The town sits on the edge of a huge canyon. They claim that, 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 that from the top of the canyon to the bottom is, is something like a thousand feet. I think it's more like four or five miles. I do. <laughs> Looking down into it, I, I don't do well with heights. And there is a footbridge that goes across that canyon. Now, now this is about a, a distance of probably, I don't know, probably realistically 75 yards. But when you're standing on the edge of it, again, it's four or five miles, it looks like. And, and people were walking out on that footbridge and just, you know, walking across that thing and back. In, and, and Linda said, you want to? And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> we're standing there. And somebody says, did you hear about the woman who jumped yesterday? And we said, no. And they said, well, if you look right down there. And I said, no, let's not. But I wasn't about to walk across that bridge. Now, everybody else did, or a lot of other people did, and, and it didn't fall. And I haven't heard of it falling in the years since. It probably never has, but I still didn't want to walk across it. Too fearful, didn't trust it. One of the best illustrations of the rift between us and God because of our sins that I've ever heard is that it's like that, that canyon. It's like that chasm. But Jesus, by his cross, has made a bridge But if you're going to get from your side to his, you've got to be willing to cross it. 
you got to trust the bridge. You have to trust the cross. You have to trust that God has made a way for us to get from our side to his side so that we can be reconciled to him. And that's why Paul says in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says, I'm begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled, cross the bridge and enjoy the relationship, the restored relationship of fellowship with God. See, that's what I hope I'm doing today. I'm not trying to just inform you about a concept called reconciliation. I'm urging you, I'm imploring you to be reconciled to God. Don't let Jesus' death be, no, be for nothing in your case. I don't know how that woman's story ever ended. I'm sure she's no longer living. And I don't know if there was ever a happy ending to it or not. I don't know if she was ever reconciled to her children or even one of them or even ever had a visit from one of them. I don't know how her story of estrangement ended. But I know that you can determine how your story of estrangement from God ends. That choice is yours to cross the bridge. But there's another side to the story of reconciliation. It's also about reconciling us to one another. And that's the reading from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. And we don't want to miss that part of it. Because in the cross, God was not just reconciling us to himself, but he was seeking to reconcile us to one another. One of the most significant, longest-running, and deeply felt alienations in the ancient world was that between Jews and Gentiles. You're probably aware of that if you've read much in the Bible at all. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were his covenant people. And as his covenant people, descendants of Abraham, all nations were to be blessed through them. They were to be a channel of God's blessing. They were supposed to be a light to the nations and show the way to God. But what happened was that over time they really became alienated from the nations to the extent that, to the extent that they, they had very little influence on them. Now, there was a, a positive purpose in that. They were trying to avoid idolatry and immorality, and they, so they separated themselves from other people. And, and the, the scriptures taught them to do that to some extent. But the problem was that they, uh, they began to see their holiness not as redemptive as a way of leading other people to God, but they began to see it as a badge of honor. They begin to see it as a badge of, of honor and a matter of pride rather than as a way of going to the nations and saying, see, this is what God wants from all of us. And God wants to draw you to himself. And as a result, Paul says in verse 12, the Gentiles were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty bad circumstance, isn't it? They're alienated, cut off, strangers, no hope without God in the world. Now, the enmity between Jews and Gentiles cut deep, and it ran both ways. 
The Jews didn't like Gentiles, and the Gentiles certainly didn't like the Jews. And even when Jews and Gentiles became united in Christ, there was still fallout from that alienation. There was still tension because it, there was all that traditional hostility. And so you had Jews who saw Gentiles coming into the church and they said, wait a minute, they can't do that unless they come in like we did. They've got to be circumcised first. And if they're not circumcised, they're not saved. And so in Acts 15, Paul and, and others have to get together and discuss this. Does a Gentile have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? And they said, no. Not everybody bought into that. And Paul had to deal with it in Romans. Is the law our way to God? And Paul says, no. He wrote the same thing in Galatians. By works of the law will no one be justified. Therefore, Jews and Gentiles stand on even ground before God. They stand on the ground that's in front of the cross. All of them. Because they're all sinners. You see, this shouldn't have been a problem in the church, but it was because they failed to realize something that the cross was about and that we sometimes fail to realize it. And I want you to follow me closely here and listen to what Paul is saying. In verse 13, after describing the alienation of the Gentiles, he says, but now you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. And then he said that Jesus in his flesh broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Now there's a symbolic reference there that dividing wall of hostility to a wall, a literal wall, a physical wall that stood in the temple in Jerusalem to mark off what was called the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple complex. And it had signs on it, and some of these have been unearthed by archaeologists in Jerusalem that said anyone not of Israel going beyond this point will be responsible for the loss of his own life. Don't you know that made them feel welcome? You know, you can sit over there, but you come over here, we're going to kill you. There was that dividing wall of hostility. And so Paul uses that as a symbol here in Ephesians 2. And he says that God, through Christ, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That, that symbolized that separation and that alienation between Jews and Gentiles. But then spiritually... Spiritually, that dividing wall of hostility refers to all forms or all symbols of separation. And the result, the result is that by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, Paul says, he created in himself one new man in place of the two. When you and I hear the story of the cross, I don't think we usually think about that. And if we ask one another, why did Jesus die on the cross? To save me from my sins. And that's true. But the other reason he died on the cross was to bring all people together in one body. To abolish all of those reasons for alienation and hostility that we mentioned earlier. To tear down all of those walls. That's what the cross was about. 
Yes, it was about saving you and me from our sins, but it was also about making you and me, no matter who we are and no matter how different we are and no matter where we've been and no matter where we, what we've done, bringing us together in one body through the cross, all reconciled to God in the same way through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Now, our issue today is not Jews and Gentiles. But we've got a lot of other things that divide us, don't we? But the answer to our alienation is still the same. Still the same. The answer to a hostile and broken and alienated world is still the same. And the church is supposed to become the proving ground for the power of the cross. And if we were more cognizant of that, we'd do better, I'm convinced. We'd be better. We'd be more careful to not alienate one another. We'd be more careful to welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you, Paul says in Romans 15. We'd be more certain to do that because the church should be the one place where race doesn't separate us and wealth and poverty aren't issues and politics is not allowed to ear its ugly head among us because we all are focused on one thing and we know that nothing else is as important as that one thing and that's the cross. That's the cross. You know why we have the Lord's Supper every week? You know one of the worst reasons I've ever heard given for having the Lord's Supper every week? Well, we're commanded to. All right. Let's just go in there and do it. We're commanded to. That's not the reason. The reason is because the Lord's Supper every week allows us to be reminded and to lift up the cross of Jesus and to be reminded that's who we are. That's what we're about. That's what draws us together. That's what makes us the church. Because the cross isn't just about gaining my personal salvation. It's about uniting all of us together in Christ. If it were just about my personal salvation, I wouldn't need you. And you wouldn't need me. But we need each other. And we come together to remember that. The church isn't just a community of the reconciled. It's a community of reconciliation. It's a community of reconciled people striving to reconcile other people to God. In that ministry of reconciliation that Paul talked about, we have it too. It's our ministry. Reconciling people to God and to one another is what we're supposed to be all about. And if we are not about that, we have missed the point of the cross. We've missed the point of the cross. Just as we have to be willing to be reconciled to God, we have to be willing to be reconciled to each other. We have to drop our pride. We have to drop our self-centeredness. And as Paul said, welcome one another. As God in Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God, Romans 15 and verse 7. And when we do that, then we can be members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God in spirit. That's the church. Let's bow and pray again. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you today for the cross of Jesus. We're so thankful for the price that he paid that we might be reconciled to you in spite of our sins. Father, we acknowledge our sinfulness. We repent of it. We continually seek your forgiveness. and We praise you for giving it to us and allowing us to be one with you. And Father, we accept the challenge of being one with each other. Sometimes, Father, frankly, it's easier to be one with you than it is with each other. We have a harder time with that, and we ask for your blessing. We ask for your help. We ask for your strength. Help us to continually look to the cross and see what you were doing there, that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, that we also might be reconciled with each other. We pray in Jesus' name. We want to invite you to be a part of that community of reconciliation today, the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus. If you're ready to do that, we want you to come and tell us while we stand together and sing.